Welcome to the One Life Community Church Podcast. We're glad you're joining us. Our mission is to lead people to follow Jesus in everyday life. We're on a journey together to live and learn what it means to love God and love people. Our hope is that God would supernaturally use this message to influence and encourage others to follow Jesus. Glad you're here this morning. Um, Before we actually get started today, um, I feel I feel pretty compelled that something needs to be said uh, about something that's going on this week. If you're paying attention at all this week to the news, uh, a lot of stuff going on with immigration, um, with the border and things like that, and how we are supposed to treat those people, and what do we do as a government, how do we protect ourselves, but also act justly to those people who are seeking asylum uh, from a very dangerous situation uh, from Mexico and things like that. Um, and I'm not even going to begin to start talking about what our government should do, because Lord knows I have no stinking idea. Like, I don't know if we should build a huge wall or if we should build a four-lane highway to get people up here who are seeking asylum and who are just trying to save their families from danger. Um, But what I do know is that if we as believers especially, but if we as people start describing other people and using words like infestation, that that's not okay. Um, And I felt compelled this morning to say something about that. So... um, I know I've had to catch myself, and I felt convicted that there's even times when I'll even uh, sarcastically or satirically say something about that, and that's not okay either, because these are people, and they deserve to be treated that way. Um, so like I said, I'm not trying to make a political statement, but I know that it's our job uh, to love and care for those who are seeking asylum and those who are sojourners, those who are, who are homeless, those who, who need help. Like, it's our job to love and care for those people. It's super easy to care for people who have it all together, who are like us. The true love comes when someone who is in desperate need, someone who you'll never get anything from, loving those people is difficult, and that's what we're called to do, because that's what Jesus did for us. Um, So this morning, before we start, I'm going to pray for that whole situation, Uh, for our leaders, for our president, um, for the people actually down there at the border having these conversations with people. Um, And I would also encourage you, put yourself in front of these people before you make a decision about them. Sit down with them, have a meal, talk to them before we start making sweeping judgments about them. So I'm going to pray for us this morning, and then we're going to actually jump into Scripture. So y'all bow your heads with me, please. God, this morning we speak in the truth that people who are seeking asylum from our southern border are people. They deserve to be treated that way. That's a human right to seek asylum and safety for their families. God, I want to pray for our government and our leaders that you would give them wisdom and discernment to do what is right. I know it's a hard decision, but I pray that you give them wisdom. I pray for us as believers, people who profess your name, Jesus, that we would love those people well, that we would view them as people, as ones who are made in your image just as much as we are. So God, thank you for the opportunity to do something difficult and love people that are not like us that are different skin color, that come from a different place, that may hold different beliefs. God, I pray that we would love people without any kind of conditions and we glorify you in it, Jesus. Amen. We're going to be in Psalm 84 this morning uh, as we kind of wrap up uh, our very lengthy series in Psalms. Uh, So if you have your Bible, you can open up there. If you have a cell phone, uh, no Instagram, no Twitter, just Bible, please. Uh, If you don't have a Bible or a cell phone, uh, it'll be up on the screens for us as well. So the first thing I'm going to do, I'm just going to read through this psalm. We Psalm 84, 
verses 5 through 7 is what we're going to be reading out of this morning. And it says this. It said, Blessed is the man whose strength is in you, and whose hearts are the whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. Passing through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. Yea, the early rain covers it with blessings. And they go from strength to strength, every one of them, until he appears before God in Zion. We're going to start in verse 5 talking about this. And just so you know, this is David writing this psalm. And then, uh, if, you, if you know anything about David, you know he had the whole uh, shepherd thing going on as a young teenager. Uh, he, he, he was kind of lowly. He was the youngest of his brothers in his family. He was of a low tribe. And he was his task with shepherding the sheep, okay? So he was not super fancy or super awesome or anything like that. He wasn't, you know, eight foot tall, you know, probably didn't have a huge jawline or anything like that. He was kind of a, an average dude. But what we find him in, and Scripture early in his life talks about how he, he fought off bears and lions to protect his flock. And then later on, obviously, we've all heard the story of David and Goliath, that he fought a man who was twice his size at least, if not three or four times his size. So as we read the Scripture, know that Let's put ourselves in his shoes and not just read it and then, and then skip on and, and get to lunch this afternoon. But this guy, when he's writing this, he's probably out on a war campaign. He's probably sitting in a tent about to go attack enemies or about to be attacked by enemies. He's out in the wild and he's, and he's pinning this. And in verse 5, you can go ahead and throw it up there. It says, blessed are those whose strength is in you. And if anybody knows what it means to have their strength in God, it's David. Like, as, as a 14-year-old boy, who would pick a fight with a lion? Nobody, unless you're an idiot, right? And then, and then as, as, as still a child, who would pick a fight with a man who's 12 feet tall? Nobody. It's illogical. But David says, blessed are those whose strength is in you. Blessed are those whose strength is not in our own arm, or not in our own knowledge or intellect, but in you, God. Blessed are those whose strength is in you. And, and this comes in a lot of different ways. Like, what does it mean for us to act borderline illogical because our strength is not in our finances or on our logic or our knowledge, but our strength is in the Lord. I firmly believe that God will, will ask us more and more to do things that don't entirely make sense to us. Zach, can you bring these last times for me? Appreciate you, bro. But more and more, we have to get this place where our trust is in, is in God. And the next part of that verse, it says this is, blessed are those whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. You know, we don't do a whole lot of pilgrimaging right now unless you, you know, take your yearly trip to, you know, Colorado to go skiing or the beach. That's a pilgrimage, you know, winter and summer pilgrimage, right? Uh, but here in this time, this is, this is the idea that people lived in, in isolated small towns a good distance away from the nearest temple or even a larger city that had a place of worship or a priest. And they were tasked with the law to, to make a yearly traveling pilgrimage to a place of worship to go meet with God, to have communion with them to meet his presence there. So this idea of pilgrimage is super easy. It's just traveling from one place to another with the intent of meeting something or doing something typically spiritual. And what he says is here is, David says, blessed are those whose hearts are set on that pilgrimage rather than where they are right now. And this idea of pilgrimage, you know, we, we get confused and I think sometimes we become used to the fact that in the New Testament we have the Holy Spirit. So we no longer have to like, go somewhere to meet with God. We can meet with him in our car. We can meet with him in our house. We can meet with him here or anywhere else. But in this day, 
it, it was the commonality was that you had to go and meet with God. There's a pilgrimage that needed to take place here, but I think we often get that confused, like, oh, they're super cool just to go and meet with God, but we have to understand that we have access to God anywhere. And I think sometimes we forget that, and we've, it's become commonplace, like an overexposure type thing. We've done it so many times, it's just like, oh, I know, I can go talk to him anywhere. I can, I can do this anywhere because it's just, I'm used to having it. Any, anything can become normal. I was talking to some guys this week, or this morning even, who are in this really intensive program at MSU, and they have to study all the time and do all this stuff, and their, their lives are insane. But after a certain few weeks or months of doing this, it just becomes normal. It's the same reason that we can, we can work out and, and build our bodies up, and our bodies can take a lot of stress and pain, and you become used to it. It becomes normal. In the same way, overexposure sometimes numbs the idea, and we forget the power that comes from meeting with God wherever we want to because it's just so easy. It's so easy. Oh, well, he's always there. It's fine. I'm used to it. It becomes normal. And we forget that that's amazing and spectacular. But David says, blessed are those whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. Because this, this life is not even our home. Like, this is not the end goal. Thank God. It's hot here. Like, seriously. Like, this is not our home. We as believers, we're not, this is not the goal. You, you didn't get saved and then now you're done. No, our hearts should be set on the pilgrimage. Our lives are simply a pilgrimage from where we're at now to our heavenly home that will be in for eternity. And our hearts need to be set on that pilgrimage, not where our feet are at right now. And, and this, this completely changes everything we do. Like, if we understand that our hearts should be set on pilgrimage, on the journey, on the end goal, on our heavenly home, then it changes the way we act with people. It, it changes our motives. It changes the way we do life with, with people around us. It changes where our money goes. It changes where our time goes. I think it's super easy if our hearts are set you know, in, our, in our own job, in our own family, in our own home, in our comfort zone. That rhymed. It was not supposed to. Um, then we, then we, we miss out on the mission of God. And I think something I've been struggling with over the past really my entire life is understanding that, man, if I can just read enough, if I can learn more about God, then I've achieved. Like, that, that's how you become the no, that's how you get closer to God is you just learn and you read more, and that's how it works. I'm learning more and more that you get to know God more when your heart's set on the pilgrimage, when you're living outside of your own agenda, and you're no longer concerned with your own benefit, but the benefit of others. This is why at One Life, we try to do everything we can to help our community, to make people feel welcome when they come in here, to meet people where they're at, at their sports teams, at bars, at restaurants, wherever, at their schools, I don't care. We're, we're not concerned with what's going on here as much as we are concerned with what's going on out there because it's not about us here. We're, our hearts are set on the pilgrimage and the pilgrimage of others. Like, I feel so strongly that like we have to more and more get to the place where our hearts are set on the things of God and not where our feet are. That's what David says here. He says, blessed are those whose hearts and their minds, their perspectives are eternal and not here. Whose strength, whose strength is in you and not here. In that next verse, in verse 6, it says this. See, as they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The autumn rains also cover it with pools. So this, this idea, this imagery of a valley comes up quite a bit in Scripture. You've probably heard it before. Yeah, though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I'll feel no evil for you are with me, right? I didn't throw a thou in there because that's how I grew up. But uh, as, as they pass through the valley of Baca, you know, by the way, if you ever read a word in Scripture like Baca and you know what it means, you can Google it. And it just comes right up. It's crazy. You know, we didn't have that. 
years ago, but you can learn. So don't just read something and then, like, oh, it's a name of something, because that means something. This valley of Baca is the valley of weeping, the valley of despair, the valley of difficult times. So David writes here, as they, those who trust in the Lord, as they pass through the valley of weeping, of difficulty, on this pilgrimage to get to the end goal, as they pass through that valley of weeping, says this, they make it a place of springs. Y'all ever been around people who, like, no matter how bad your day's been, what's going on, your day could be absolute hell, but you see that person, you just know, and that person has joy, and, and no one's always joyful. Like, I'm going to be honest with you, uh, Fixer Upper, Chip Gaines, everybody know who that is? I think Chip Gaines is hiding something. <laughs> I'm serious, it's a theory. He's a good dude, but, like, he's too happy all the time. I'm, no one's that serious. Anyway, sorry, tangent. But there's people in your lives that when you see them, even when the circumstances are really bad, that they make it joyful. They have an innate joy about them. Uh, she probably wouldn't want me to do this. Uh, Katie Draper is that way for me. Anytime I see Katie Draper, even if she's had a bad day, the circumstances are bad. Like right now, she's pregnant, and it's 112 degrees outside. And every time I see her, she's still happy. And she's happy to see me, and she genuinely like, wants to know what I did that week. And, and that joy that comes from her is not of her, but it's from the Lord. It's because her trust is in the Lord. And as she walks through the valley of Baca and pregnancy... She makes it a place of springs. And that's the idea is, like, the people who trust in the Lord, it doesn't matter what's going on around them. Because their trust is in the Lord, they're not concerned with what's going on here. We talked, I talked about it a couple weeks ago, maybe a month ago, I can't remember now. But when, when we focus on what's going on in front of us, when we focus on white-knuckling our sin or, or trying to fix our situation or, or, or do better, you're never going to get out of it. Like we have to lift our eyes. Our focus has to be on Jesus, the source of our salvation. And at that point... That's when, we, that's when we receive, that's when we get into victory. That's when you start defeating sin. That's when you start feeling fulfilled is when, we, when you stop looking at your circumstances, when you start trying to fix everything and you let Jesus do it. Say, God, I can't do this on my own. I'm going to fix my eyes on you. I'm going to run as hard as I can. I'm going to trust you with the rest. I think in, in a lot of ways, sometimes we end up in places we don't necessarily intend to with that. Like, hey, I, I trusted you. And in my plan, it didn't seem like I would end up here. And yet, I'm completely content. Like, for me, that was my story. Man, out of college, I had all these plans to make a lot of money or just have a really easy job and get to live on a beach or on a mountain or something. And yet, I remember getting out of college and being completely, like, shaken. Because I had no, I just felt this, this horrible discord because I was going after my own plan. And the moment when I trusted in God, even though it was not my plan, I'm here today. And I, I grew up here in Wichita Falls. You would have never heard me say this. There's no place in the world that I'd rather be than right here. I was talking to one of my friends from college, and she grew up here as well. And she said, hey, uh, when do you plan on leaving Wichita Falls? I said, never. I said, unless the Lord comes down and smacks me in the face, I'm not leaving. I said, because this is where he's supposed to be. And that's the idea is that our perspective has changed. Even though our plans are different, we have to trust in the Lord. And as we do that, no matter the circumstances, we make it a place of springs. I mean, Wichita Falls was voted the most miserable place to live a few years ago. Valley of Baca. <laughs> but my hope for this church and for all believers in this city is that we would make it a place of springs for the people on our sports teams. Like, the, like if you have kids in the room and you're spending time with other parents, make that sports team a place of springs. Make your schools a place of springs. Make your work a place of springs. The next part of that verse says this. You can throw it up there. 
And the autumn rains also covered with pools. Just, to, just to, uh, saying it again, just a repeat, saying, hey, that the rains come because his people have trusted in him. And when we can trust in him, he's going to provide. Now, he doesn't provide, you know, a, a lifelong end destination. It'd be super great if God used Google Maps and he could just like pinpoint, hey, that's where you're headed, buddy. No, no, no. Like, turn by turn is what we're doing. And you just keep going. Hey, in 10 feet, turn left. It's quick, you know, right? But that's how it works. We have to trust God and he's going to provide for us. I'm going to move right along here. The next verse says this, and this is verse 6. I'm sorry, verse 7. It says, They go from strength to strength. Every one of them appears before God in Zion. I struggled with this this week. What does that mean? They, they go from strength to strength. And I read and I listened and I asked questions and I, I really saw, I said, God, what do you mean by this? What does it mean to go from strength to strength? And yesterday I went, woke up and I did some work in the morning and then I went and shot a wedding yesterday uh, a really far away away uh, in Denton. It was an hour and a half drive. Whew. Right? You know, I get in the car after shooting that wedding or even getting down there and, you know, we got your snacks. I got my sunflower seeds and my vitamin water. And we're going to go. And, you know, at that moment when you're, you know, getting on the highway, it's like, all right, I feel pretty good. And then even just after an hour and a half drive, I'm just, I'm a baby, I guess. After an hour and a half drive, I'm like, get me out of this car. Like, I hate this. It's the worst. And I think this is kind of what he's talking about here. The natural progression, when you go on any kind of trip, even if you're in an air-conditioned car with air-conditioned seats and everything, like the natural progression, when you start, there's enthusiasm and there's energy and you're listening to fun music. It's great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. woo but then as time goes on, as the journey continues, you go from strength to weakness. You go from joy to me, anger, because people are dumb and they can't drive. Um, or you go from enthusiasm to just like discontentment. And that's the natural progression. When you start a journey, when people are focusing on this pilgrimage, when they're going through the valley of Baca, especially on their own strength, they naturally go from strength to weakness. That's how we operate. I don't know who of y'all like, wakes up in the morning and then gets more energy throughout the day, that's not natural, okay? That happened that way. What the scripture is saying here is that those who have put their trust in the Lord, those who have bet on what God's doing rather than their own strength, they go from strength to strength. They go from strength to strength. There's no, oh, I'm down, I'm getting tired. Oh, I'm losing enthusiasm as I'm getting older. There's none of that. It's, hey, because our trust is in the Lord, our power supply is endless. We're not betting on our own strength. We're going from strength to strength. We're not losing anything. And that's how we know it's not of us. And then it goes on to say this. It says, until each appears before God in Zion. That means death, by the way. In case you didn't know that. Zion's just heaven. It's our eternal home. So we go from strength to strength until we die. There's no, you know, as you're a young man that you go from here to here, and then when you start getting older, then you can kind of, you know, once you retire, you can kind of start slacking off and you can, you know, just sit down and not do as much anymore. No, no, no. God says, hey, from when you start trusting me till, till you die, you're going to go from strength to strength because of what I'm doing. And, and there's encouragement in that, to understand that, that, that our performance is not based on our strength, but the fact that Jesus did it for us. And, and there's a certain amount of, of courage and, and peace that comes from understanding that it's not of us. Like when the result's based on you, there's anxiety and stress. But I would hope that you'd have peace this morning if you don't already know Jesus, but that he paid the debt. He took the test for you. When I was a kid, 
uh, my brother can attest to this too. Uh, I had a really hard time sleeping in my own room. Like I was a baby, like I was a scaredy cat. I always thought there were like ghosts in my room and things like that, or people under my bed. I was kind of, and this is far too long, by the way. I'm not going to tell you when I stopped going to my mom's room at night, to be honest. <laughs> I'm not going to tell you when that was. But like far too long, I spent, you know, getting scared at night. It was a couple years ago. <laughs> um, but I vividly remember when I was, the first house that we lived in, um, I was over by the stadium, and I remember one night, I'm sitting in my room, and my dad came and tucked me in and prayed for me, and they shut the lights off, and within like five or ten minutes, I was crying, and I was like, Dad, somebody in my room. And I was like, there's not anybody in your room. But he came in there, and my dad, uh, man, my dad's my hero. Six foot two, like, his arms are just massive, and he's got fists like a small truck, and he's just, like, my dad could still whip me with that, like, with one hand. And, uh, yeah, it's bad. But my dad's awesome, and he came in my room, and he sat down there with me, and he, he talked to me. He's like, hey, there's nothing in here, da, 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 and I'm inconsolable. I'm like, there's people in here, man. There's monsters in here. There's monsters in here. So if you have, if you have kids in the room, I know you're feeling this, but like, no, no, no logic could, could con, like, convince me that there wasn't people in my room or people coming into my room, which is just weird and whatever. And then my dad finally kind of ditched the, hey, I'm, I'm going to stop trying to convince this kid that there's not somebody coming into his room. There, like, he's, he's in danger. But what he did was this. He said, hey, watch this. And he walked out of my room and he walked over across the hall into his bedroom where he was at night. And he said, just call my name. So I said, dad? And within seconds, that dude like one hopped over the hallway into my bedroom and was there. And I realized, oh, wait, my dad's right there. It doesn't matter who or what. I don't care if it's the boogeyman or Chewbacca, like whatever comes to my room or, you know, a huge nine-foot-tall spider. Like, it doesn't matter, because my dad's right there. And I remember that was a, and this is a weird story, but from that moment on, my life changed. Like, when I understood somebody that I trusted, somebody that I had faith in, somebody that I knew that their strength was, in that, at that point in time, insurmountable by anybody, for all I could care, that dude was Superman, he was just right there. He was right there. And at a moment's notice, he's there for me all the time. And I slept so well that night. I vividly remember this. That's the same thing we have to do with God. We have to understand that we can rest easy, that we can walk through the valley easy. We can make it joyful for other people because our trust is not in our own strength, but in God's. And not only is he completely capable to provide for us, not only is he completely willing, but he's right, he's right there. He's waiting for you. I just want to encourage you all this morning there's ways in your life where you feel like the Lord may be tugging you, if you're trying to do it on your own, give it up. Van, y'all can go ahead and come back up here. Um, I'm just going to do this thing real quick. I'm going I'm to read this again. Let's, this last verse in verse 10. Move down, it says this. It says, better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper and the house of my God than dwell in the, twin, in the tents of the wicked. I thought about asking Brendan if we could sing that old hymn today. Um, but this verse, I think, is astute for us. Is understanding that our perspective has to change. We have to understand that having one day as a servant in the house of God is better than any amount of days that are, 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 are of our own making. And I want to encourage you in this too. 
being a servant of God is, is a good thing. That, that's, that's, that's the ask this morning. There's, there's work to be done on this, on this earth because of what he's done for you. We need help here at this church. There's churches in town that need a lot done. There's people who are hurting and they need the gospel. And it's better to be a servant of God for one day than to have a thousand days anywhere else. So this morning, I'm going to pray for us and we're going to be done. My hope is that we would continue to more and more give over parts of our life to God. That we trust him with our families, with our jobs, with our money, with our time. Um, it's better to have one day with God than to live an entire lifetime here on earth without him. Um, so this morning, there's going to be people down front Man, if you just want somebody to pray for you, we're not going to ask questions. We're not going to prod you. We're not going to send you a bunch of mail. We're not going to show up at your house. If you just want somebody to pray for you, no pressure. We want to pray for you. We'll be here, and we want to talk to you. Um, we, we've staked our lives on this. It's better to have one day with Jesus than have a thousand anywhere else. So y'all pray with me. God, I thank you that you are worth every bit of trust that we can give to you. Lord, that you've been faithful to us even when we're not faithful to you. That you decided to use us even though we are incapable. And then God, that you're moving in this city. That even at times this place feels like a valley that our lives feel like one constant valley. There's no consistency, there's no rest. God, I pray that today that we would find rest in you, that we wouldn't look forward to two weeks from now, that we wouldn't look forward to next weekend, that we wouldn't look forward to the vacation time that we have scheduled from work, that we would know today rest, peace is available through you. And that looking forward to anything else to give us rest, it's not glorifying to you, and it's, it's sin, God. I pray that we would find rest in you. We would trust you. God, that you would continue to move in the city, and you continue to move through our church, and you continue to use us. So Jesus, this morning, we should receive glory from everything that's going on. We love you, and we praise in your son's holy name. Amen.